And we can repeat together. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Ajnana Tamarandasya Gyananjana. Shalakaya Chakshura Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Sri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Dadati Swapadantikam. Manchakalpa Turubhya Shakripa Sindhubhyeva Chapatitanam Bhavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namunama. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Atvaita Gadadhara Shri Vasari Gora Bhaktavrinda. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So last week, we heard about the four social classes. And this week, we're going to hear the beginning uh, of the four spiritual classes, primarily focused in this chapter on Brahmachari and Vanaprastha. And uh, in, in subsequent chapters on the other ashrams. Mm. So we, we, um, we did start this chapter last week, but let's start, let's do it from the beginning quickly. And uh, we, we talked about this first verse, such an important verse, uh, or very, yeah, very well known verse. Brahmachari Guru Kule Vastan, Vastan Danto Guru Hitam. Acharan dasavan nicho guru shurida shauridaha. Narada said a student should practice completely controlling his senses. He should be submissive and should have an attitude of firm friendship for the spiritual master. With a great vow, the Brahmacharya should live at the Gurukula only for the benefit of the guru. So this is student-like, learning sense control, studying, um, control. And when we can do this, when, we can, when, when a, a human being can do this in their childhood, it really helps them control their mind when they're older. It, it, it can lead to selflessness because one is serving the guru. And, and if one gets married, they're, you know, they're serving their family, they're serving their, you know, their spouse, their children, their, their, their you know, and, and ultimately, of course, Krishna. So this is, you know, controlling the senses is real education. It's, it's character building. It's surrender to a higher authority. It's, it's not thinking of oneself as the center of the universe, right? You know, and psychologically, that can be healthy when someone is newborn you don't want to have a neglected child you know a, a, a child is a toddler and say you know be a brahmachari <laughs> no, that does, they uh there is some connection there especially with the mother um the first guru and some affection so the child feels some safety and security um we're talking about psychology here not you know the highest spirituality um in Bhaktivinoda Thakur, even he talks about this in a slightly, in a different way. He says, you know, I'm a, I'm a soul. I come into this world and all of a sudden I'm told this is your father. I'm told this is your mother and that you're cute and Gucci, Gucci, goo and all that. And, and you start getting all of these upadis, all these designations um, thrust upon you. But when 
now we're talking about the Vedic system, and uh, when one goes to Gurukul, that changes a lot, right? One isn't under the shelter of his mother and father. Now, in one sense, he's accepted the shelter of his guru and, and, and traditionally his guru's wife and living in their home. Um, and, and now the training kind of begins where one is for the living at the benefit of the guru and controlling the senses and being submissive and having this really strong relationship with one's spiritual master. It's quite a, uh, yeah, it's, it's glorious. At both junctions, text two, at both junctions of day and night, namely in the early morning and in the evening, he should be fully absorbed in thoughts of the spiritual master, the fire, the sun god, and Lord Vishnu, and by chanting the Gayatri mantra, he should worship them. So, um, uh, one thing that we're going to be doing in upcoming verses and in this whole chapter is um, trying to decipher when we're talking about, let's just label it Vedic and as opposed to devotional. Not that sometimes, what's tricky is sometimes Prabhupada will, will say they're basically synonymous. Um, but here, for example, we don't train the devotees to worship the fire or the sun god, although, yeah, we don't uh, worship the sun god. We, we understand, you know, um, how important the sun is, and we worship Surya, we may worship Surya Narayan, the connection with Narayan. So we're going to, so here we're, you know, we're, so what happens is the Vedic system, which may include um, demigod worship, it may include, you know, Varnashrama, and things, some aspects of that are very favorable to bhakti, although they're not directly bhakti. But here, for example, Lord Vishnu is also mentioned, right? So, uh, and if one's spiritual master is a Vaishnava, because not all spiritual masters are Vaishnavas, naturally, um, then this is in this way connected to bhakti. But in more general terms, we're talking here about the uh, quote-unquote Vedic system. Carrie, oh, let me just check if anyone's waiting. Oh, no one's waiting. Okay. Um, uh, carrying pure, pure kusha grass in his hand, the brahmachari should dress regularly with a belt of straw and with deerskin garments. He should wear matted hair, carry a rod and water pot, and be decorated with a sacred thread as recommended in the Shastra. So this is a Great verse to remind us that not everything in Varnashram is practical today. We don't have brahmacharis who carry kusha grass, who wear a belt of straw, what to speak of, definitely not wearing deerskin garments. Um, now, matted hair, some people would really like that if they could do matted hair, but that's not how we have brahmacharis. They don't carry a rod or water pot. And unless they're Brahmin initiated, they don't even have a sacred thread yet. So it's a good example of how when somebody says we should institute Varnashram, then the question, well, what part, <laughs> right? Because not everything translates, it's not all the details translate uh, easily into practical reality. So I've said a few things there, and maybe before we continue, um, any questions or comments?
Yeah, I, I think it's really great how you're going into this technically because uh, it is kind of technical, but I, I really like it. So uh, go as deep as you can on, on this, comparing like the tradition and the Vedic is a tradition kind of us now in this day and age. Versus yeah. Current bhakti. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Andy. And, and, and it's like I said, it's tricky because sometimes Prabhupada will say, you know, reading the Vedas or following the Vedic system, it's more like Dharma Shastras like the Manas Samhita or the Veda or the original Vedas or the, you know, uh, and sometimes he's referring to the Bhakti Shastras like Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita. So um, so we have to, it takes a little bit of a discerning ear to, or eye to see which one he's referring to at what time. So thank you for that, Andy. Thank you for that encouragement. You know, when you were talking about the, the young kids, I was thinking about when I was a kid, they used to talk about a Spartan upbringing, right? We studied the Greeks and um, the, the, the Spartans would always beat the Athenians because they were really tough on their kids. You know, they'd like at six years old, they'd send them out into the woods to survive for a couple of years. And when they came back, they were just like tougher because they had that Spartan upbringing. Mm, right. And Spartan, besides being the Michigan State uh, <laughs> University, um, is equated with, uh, it's sometimes even used like, you know, a Spartan household would mean, you know, not a lot of comfortable chairs and, you know, it's very simple living, right? I, I, I think you know, someone could look it up and see if that's true. Um, right. No, that is true. That is true. Okay, it's good. Basically austerity is what it is. Austerity, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and then this is a great point because this again is bringing up this distinction to some extent. We also perform austerities, at least, you know, for those who are initiated the four regulated principles. Um, and, you know, our, yeah, our choice of what we eat, for example. But it isn't exactly, that for some people, it's almost like the austerity is the ends. Or it's a means to a, uh, well, in this case, Henry's case, to be a good warrior, perhaps, or, or be, you know, or to be a good person, an ethical person, or maybe an, a means to Brahman realization, or, or even in Buddhism to uh, Nirvana, which, you know, ours is, it's a means to Krishna Prema. So therefore, two things. We perform austerities for Krishna's pleasure, which is slightly different than performing austerities for more generic spiritual realization. That's mm. just like it, prasadam. Okay, so the, it, again, it's almost like uh, I think you've heard me talk about Hegel before, you know, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. So the thesis is. What most people in the world think is food is meant for my enjoyment. And, you know, whether it's veg or non-veg, it's, it's all for me. Even if it's vegetarian, it's all, it's all for mine. So then the, um, uh, I was just hearing a devotee, I was taking breakfast today with another devotee, and he said he watched a YouTube video or something about Buddhist monks. And they take whatever they beg, and they put it all together, and then mix it all up. So the sweets are with the, this and this, and the idea is not to make a distinction, you know, and to be austere. 
So that's the antithesis. So thesis is everything's for my enjoyment. Antithesis is nothing's for my enjoyment. And the devotee relishes prasadam uh, and thanks Krishna in gratitude for providing all this nice prasadam. Uh, just like, you know, the, uh, the second half of the prasadam prayer that we, that we say. And, you know, uh, therefore let us take this prasadam to our full satisfaction. And in doing so, glorify their lordship, Shishi Radha and Krishna. And in love, call for the help of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda. And that's going to be a theme um, in the next few verses also, when we talk about celibacy. Okay, then just um, go off mute if you have any other points, but I'm going to carry on to text five. The Pramachari should go out morning and evening to collect alms, and he should offer all that he collects to the spiritual master. He should eat only if ordered to take food by the spiritual master. Otherwise, if the spiritual master does not give this order, he may sometimes have to fast. Of course, the guru doesn't forget. <laughs> you know. um, but this was um, begging creates, it creates tolerance, it creates humility. Um, and it's done again, uh, uh, well, in all traditions as a, uh, out of affection for this guru. And in our tradition, as a uh, means to please the Supreme Lord. And so I did some form of begging for about 11 years, 10 or 11 years of my life, six days a week, you know, either selling books or selling some paraphernalia to make money for the temple. And I think it really helped me uh, with character development. Not that my character, I'm not saying my character is good. I'm saying, imagine how bad it would have been if I hadn't done that's, that's what I'm trying to say. But um, it's just such um, good character building to be uh, rejected by people, you know, tell, you know, get lost, get a job. <laughs> I was once with a sannyasi, uh, he's left this world now, His Holiness Gunagrai Maharaj. And I had this, he had this exchange. This is when devotees were a little more tough, you know, and uh, uh, the, uh, he, he tried to give someone a book and the a businessman and the, the, uh, the man said, get a job. And Maharaj said, get a brain. And the guy said, I have a brain. And Mara said, use it. <laughs> but um, generally, I'm not saying that was the most humble thing, but it was, it was me. But, it, you know, it does, it does um, getting, going up to people that you don't know and, and, and asking them for something that they, you know, 10 seconds earlier, they had no interest in. Um, it does, uh, create some humility. But again, the difference between doing it in Krishna's service is, you know, I can honest, I can say that I, I felt Krishna reciprocating with the austerity. So I wasn't just doing it for austerity's sake. I was doing it to please Krishna, or at least I was trying to do it to please Krishna. And you feel that reciprocation, especially with Lord Chaitanya. So, um, 
continuing in text six, a brahmachari should be quite well-behaved and gentle and should not eat or collect more than necessary. He must always be active and expert, fully believing in the instructions of the spiritual master and the shastra. Fully controlling his senses, he should associate only as much as necessary with women or those controlled by women. <laughs> Prabhupada once said, uh, for brahmacharis, the uh, conversation with women should be like, you know, pass the salt, please. In other words, functional, you know, not like, oh, how are you? And how's your, how's your health? You know, <laughs> you know, that, um, you know, and what's on your mind these days, you know, for a brahmachari that wasn't uh, the direction that Prabhupada gave us. So verse seven, this is the first one I, I asked you to uh, read the purport, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Just check my notes. Yes. Okay, uh, verse seven. A brahmachari, one who has not accepted the Grihasta ashram family life, must rigidly avoid talking with women or about women, for the senses are so powerful that they may agitate even the mind of a sannyasi, a member of the renounced order of life. Starting with the third sentence, the injunction restricting association with women is the basic principle of spiritual life. Now let's keep that in mind, that word basic. Associating or talking with women is never advised in any of the Vedic literatures. The entire Vedic system teaches one to avoid sex life. So one may gradually progress from brahmacharya to grihasta, from grihasta to vanaprastha, and from vanaprastha to sannyasa, and thus give up material enjoyment, which is the original cause of bondage to this material world. The word brihad prata refers to one who has decided not to marry, or in other words, not to indulge in sex life throughout his entire life. Just getting my notes here. So, the, um, this is, you know, so contrary to society <laughs> at large in general. Um, and that is because society and a Krishna, a, well, spiritual society, they have different purposes. They have different goals. And um, let, actually, let me do one thing. Let me read a few more verses and then cover all of this point about associating with women in, in a, in not in a uh, uh, piecemeal way, but in an overall way. I think that'll be better. Um, okay, so the next verse. If the wife of the spiritual master is young, a young brahmachari should not allow her to care for his hair, massage his body with oil, or bathe him with affection like a mother. And Prabhupada writes that a civilization that allows men to mix, this is right at the end, the last two sentences, a civilization that allows men to mix unrestrictedly with women is an animal civilization. In Kali Yuga, people are extremely liberal, but mixing with women and talking with them as equals actually constitutes an uncivilized way of life. Now, uh, Oh, Krishna, did I not copy that? Oh, Krishna. Um, oh, maybe I did. Hold on. 
Ah, here we go. So now let's let's weigh that last two sentences with with this. This is uh, uh, maybe a more applying what Prabhupada just said to the present world. This is from the Adi Lila, chapter seven, verse thirty-one and thirty-two. Sometimes jealous, so someone who sometimes jealous persons. This is Prabhupada writing criticize the Krishna consciousness movement because it engages equally both boys and girls in distributing love of Godhead. Not knowing that boys and girls in countries like Europe and America mix very freely, these fools and rascals criticize the boys and girls in Krishna consciousness for intermingling. But these rascals should understand, should consider that one cannot suddenly change a community's social customs. However, since both the boys and the girls are being trained to become preachers, those girls are not ordinary girls, but are as good as their brothers who are preaching Krishna consciousness. Therefore, to engage both boys and girls in fully transcendental activities is a policy intended to spread the Krishna conscious movement. These jealous fools who criticize the intermingling of boys and girls will simply have to be satisfied with their own foolishness because they cannot think of how to spread Krishna consciousness by adopting ways and means that are favorable for this purpose. Their stereotype methods will never help spread Krishna consciousness. Therefore, what we are doing is perfect by the grace of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for it is he who proposed to invent a way to capture those who strayed from Krishna consciousness. So you see how um, one needs to well to really if we're if we're trying to be a follower of Srila Prabhupada and understand his mood and mission we have to look at the totality of what he said and be careful not to um cherry pick one quote and not look at so you know you here he says in text eight at the bottom you know that uh the it's a civilization it's an uncivilized civilization that lets men and women talk equally and then in what I just read, he said, no, but it happens in, in the Western countries and now in the East as well. Um, but people who criticize uh, probably, you know, ISKCON for doing that, he said, they're, he doesn't have, you could see he didn't have great words for them because he, he said that we have to, um, you know, uh, adjust things according to the time, according to the place, according to the circumstance. So I thought that was helpful to look at those two quotes in a juxtapositioned way. Um, a lot more to cover in the next few verses on this topic, but because I just quoted those two, any questions or comments? Did you let the people in there waiting? Yes. Okay. Yes, David is with us now. Yeah. yeah, I do have questions, but I'm gonna roll them forward until we get even more like kind of Okay. There's cool. more to this topic. Yeah. All right. Good. We have a few more verses. Not, not, yeah, not the whole chapter, but a few more verses. Okay. So, text nine. And let me check. I thought I asked you to read nine as well, didn't I? Uh, yep. Nine and 10. I think nine and 10 will do it for this topic primarily. Women is compared to fire, and man is compared to a butter, a butter pot. Therefore, a man should avoid associating even with his own daughter in a secluded place. Similarly, he should also avoid associating with other women. One should associate with women only for important businesses and not otherwise. 
this is reminiscent of uh you can google it i'm pretty sure it's called the modesto uh, agreement is that right anyone uh what's it that Modesto with an a modesta i think modesto california or modesta yeah. that sounds like so no maybe that's not where was it it wasn't with that anyway oh the Modesto Manifest, yeah, uh, Manifesto, that's what it was. And it was a uh, agreement between Billy Graham and uh, a few others. And it became a little well-known uh, in recent years because of the previous vice president of the United States, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Pence. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and it was something that they agreed on that they said that if... Um, basically like the rule of three that they they you know if they were seen in a secluded place with a woman other than their wife it could really you know even if nothing happened they, it could be spread like rumors and wildfire and hurt their um, their ministry so they came up with this idea of uh of the rule of three and never be alone with uh, a woman other than your wife in public and of course actually um our vice president got criticized for that uh, in the media sometimes, but um, it's uh, I, I I've seen like um, Barry John Fugu lived upstairs in my house for many years and has separate interest interests. And so uh, if a uh, lady devotee wanted to see him, he would always ask me to bring her upstairs and stay when they're talking. Just for that same reason, you know, uh, um, just be beyond any suspicion in that way. Purport, if a butter pot and fire are kept together, the butter within the pot will certainly melt. <laughs> Woman is compared to fire, and man is compared to butter pot. How, however, advanced, however advanced one may be in restraining the senses, it is almost impossible for man to keep himself controlled in the presence of a woman, even if she is his own daughter, mother, or sister, that's quoting a verse in the ninth canto. Um, basically just being, be careful. <laughs> Indeed, the mind is agitated, even if one is in the renounced order of life. Therefore, Vedic civilization carefully restricts mingling between men and women. If one cannot understand the basic principle of restraining association between men and women, he is to be considered an animal. That is the purport of this verse. Now, again, referring back to the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Prabhupada gave a more nuanced presentation. So let's just carry on one more verse and then get into this a little bit. As, as long as a living entity, oh no, no, yeah, as long as a living entity is not completely self-realized, as long as he's not independent of the misconception of identifying with his body, which is nothing but a reflection of the original body and senses, he cannot be relieved of the conception of duality, which is epitomized by the duality between men and women. That thus there is every chance that he will fall down because intelligence is bewildered. Hmm. So Prabhupada is talking about having, and the purport about having samadarshana, equal vision, seeing everyone part and parcel of Krishna. And then he writes, one may theoretically understand this, but when one has practical realization, then he actually is a pandita, one who knows. Until that time, the duality continues and the conception of man and women also continues. In this stage, one should be extremely careful about mixing with women. 
one should not think himself perfect and forget these Shastric injunctions. And one should be very careful about associating even with his daughter, mother, or sister. There's again that ninth chapter quote, not to speak of other women. So now let's uh, get into this a little bit because remember, this is the context of Varnashrama. It's, it is the, we heard about Prahlad Maharaj, and then you just here ask basically, you know, how do we become? A Prahlad Maharaj and the gradual process or the society-wide process of Varnashrama is being described here. Um, it's not, uh, so it's a general description and, and, and a lot of the verses are, are um, you could say Vedic or they're dealing more with, you know, uh, Brahman realization and um, Bhakti per se. So let's uh, circle back to the sixth canto for a second to try to put everything in perspective. And the first chapter of the sixth canto, um, what happens is Maharaj Prikshit, if you remember back then, Maharaj Prikshit just heard about the, uh, the sufferings of the living entity in the hellish planets. And, he, and uh, after summarizing some of the things that he's heard from Sukadeva Swami, he says, how can someone be relieved from this hell? And then interestingly, it's so fascinating. Sukadev doesn't immediately give the highest realization. He first, he, he tests his disciple um, to see if he's understood bhakti appropriately. Because at first he says, well, you know, you just do karma, kanda, prayas, chitta, you know, you do this sacrifice, you, you, you counteract this sin with this pious action. And Maharaj Priksh is a very good disciple. He says, no, 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 you can't fool me. <laughs> that is not the highest. That, he said, that's like the elephant bathing, right? That, uh, because it hasn't cut the desire from the root. So karma, karma kanda's out the window. Then he presents can. Um, and he presents um, the famous verse, and this is one, this is that we're getting to the heart of the matter. Um, text uh, 13. Yeah, text 13. Tapasa, we know what that is, austerities. Brahma, oh, I could even uh, share my screen for a second here. Oh, wait, was there something else in the chat that I missed? No, just people waiting to get it. Um, okay, so you see it here. Uh, this is 6, 1, 13, and 14. Tapasa, sen, uh, avoiding sense clarification. Then, brahmacharyena, that means celibacy. And then samena, control the mind. Damena, control the senses. Uh, tyagena, giving, uh, voluntarily giving in charity. Satya, being truthful. Sochabhyam, um, being very clean inside and out, etc. And yamena niyamena cha. Uh, to concentrate, so this is his next way to get out of uh, performing sinful activities. To concentrate the mind, one must observe a life of celibacy and not fall down. So that's the main point that I want to make here. So, but interestingly enough, Although celibacy is, is helpful in Krishna consciousness, so also, and we'll talk about that in a minute, 
So, uh, Friction Maharaj rejects that also. He rejects that also. Right? Interesting, because that is the Gyan approach. And then in the next verse, he says the actual, uh, I can, I'll uh, share my screen again. This is the actual answer that Maharaj Prichit was waiting for. Kechit Kevalaya Bhaktya Vasudeva Parayana. Okay, so one, only a rare person who has adopted complete unalloyed devotional service to Krishna, and here's the point, can uproot the weeds the, at the root of sinful actions with no possibility that they will revive. He can do this simply by discharging devotional service, just as the sun can immediately dissipate fog by its rays. And here Prabhupada gives a very clear explanation. If one becomes attached to devotional service, however, his desires for material enjoyment, such as, you know, the man-woman thing, are automatically vanquished without separate endeavor. Okay? Automatically vanquished without separate endeavor. Bhakti pareshanu bhavo viraktir anyatra cha. If one is advanced in Krishna consciousness, material activities, both sinful and pious automatically become distasteful to him. So, um, celibacy and being careful about the association of between men and women. And, you know, that for people who are um, uh, part of the LGBTQ community, that would be, you know, whatever your, uh, your conditioning is to be attracted to. Um, it is, it is, it is something to be, um, careful about, but it, to some extent for different reasons, that's the point I want to make here. So for the impersonalist or the, uh, the person who's seeking Brahman such, or, or following for an ashram, um, it it um, helps one understand one's not the body because sex is probably the, the greatest anchor of convincing us that we are our body and the body is meant for enjoyment. Um, but a devotee av avoids too much interaction with, with the uh, opposite sex for a subtly different reason he or she does it avoids it well one to please krishna which is not what's being mentioned in the seventh canto uh, what we're reading right now and two uh, as ravinda superbu says that the regulated principles that initiated devotees are asked to follow are uh, principles not only of ethics like you know don't you know mess around with somebody else's wife Right. But they're also a principle of cognition. Of that when one leads a externally bodily pure life, it helps one focus more on Krishna. And that's what that's why ultimately a devotee performs austerity or celibacy, not um 
not just because it's part of our ashram or not to uh, just be spiritual in general or to, you know, um, come closer to Brahman realization, but with a, with a, with the goal of attaining Krishna and with the goal of pleasing Krishna. So the, the, while the external behavior may be somewhat similar, um, the internal meditation has this distinction as we tried to show, because actually Tapasap Brahmacharjana was, was on one level rejected by Krishna. No, 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 that's not. And then he said, no, no, it's devotional service. It's developing love for God. That's what we're looking for. And therefore we may perform some tapasya, some uh, brahmacharya for that purpose, for that purpose, which is a different motivation than, um, than the Spartans. <laughs> And a different motivation for the uh, you know the regular barn ashram folks, and that's a very important distinction. And there is some opportunity for more liberalism. One time, Prabhupada was asked, "Did, did uh, there is some rumor or or some you know statement that I think it's Rupa Goswami it might have been Jiva Goswami, but I thought it was Rupa Goswami met with Mirabai." And someone and somebody said, well, that's not possible because he was, you know, renunciate. And Prabhupada said, no, in our line, you know, renunciates may sometimes speak to women. So um, this, I think this distinction is important because what's being said here is according to Varnashrama Dharma, which does have a spiritual goal. But in the sixth canto, it's specifically Sukadeva Swami talking to Maharaj Pritchard about his ultimate goal of going back to Godhead in deep devotion to the Lord. Okay, that's kind of the uh, points that I wanted to make on this important topic. And Andy, did you want to start with your question? Yeah. <clears throat> or comment, kind of, maybe a comment. It's kind of a confused question, but like you were talking about Hegel. So where is... I always wonder about, I can't ask you where it is because it's too hard a question, but I always wonder where the synthesis is. The body's not just for our enjoyment, right? It's not just for austerity either, because that wouldn't please Krishna. Like this may sound trite, but when you see pictures of Prabhupada, you can tell he has it. Like when you see him cooking or eating, you see a kind of very relaxed pleasure. But obviously he's not just, the normal kind of pleasure because that wouldn't be krishna conscious right so you wonder well where is he at you know where how what's what's his synthesis you know how does it really feel when he's <laughs> got that bright balance right that's all well, i wonder about yeah his synthesis like, well like okay again right um you only because you mentioned cooking you know so thesis cooking for my pleasure you know watching um I don't know who these famous cooks are these days. You know, I was going to say Martha Stewart, but that would be really dating myself. Uh, you know, and you cook for your pleasure. And then the antithesis is like that Buddhist thing that I said, you know, just mix it all up, and, right? And then the pleasure of a pure devotee like Prabhupada is, you know, cooking for Krishna. Um, it's, it's a great pleasure. So you're not giving up the, you're doing, the first one is action. 
or or sometimes it's action is karma, inaction is gyan. The synthesis is acting, but not for your personal pleasure, but for Krishna's pleasure. That's the synthesis. So I think that that would be a lot to explain Prabhupada or any devotee. Um, they're taking something from each. The, the action is for your own pleasure. The inaction is to renounce pleasure. And the synthesis is uh, to renounce, to do the action, but combine it with the, uh, it's almost like combining karma and gan, action without reaction for Krishna's pleasure. Mm. Does, that, does that help? Yeah, I think on either extreme, you're cheating to some degree, right? If you just do it purely yes, for your own pleasure, exactly. that's that you're cheating yourself because you're not getting the Krishna experience. Right. If you do it complete austerity, then you're cheating Krishna because he wants exactly you. You totally conduit. You're, yes. you're his conduit for that pleasure. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect explanation. It's just like the other thing, probably. You know, a wallet is found on the ground. So you have three choices, right? You pocket the money, you leave it there, or you find the owner. So pocketing it is like karma, leaving it there is like can, and finding the owner is like bhakti. Very good. Uh, other thoughts, questions, comments on this? I tried to think about this a bit and give you some uh, of my understanding of perspective, okay? So then, um, let me go back to this. Oh, I switched to the sixth canto. Hmm. And at the end of this purport in text 10, Prabhupada writes that unity in variety is real knowledge. Unity in variety. And therefore, giving up variety artificially does not reflect perfect knowledge of monism. According to Achintya Veda, Veda philosophy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There are varieties, but all of them constitute one unit. Such knowledge is knowledge of perfect oneness. So again, it's it's a little bit hmm, the idea of uh, renouncing variety is the uh, antithesis, right? And variety is sometimes seen as uh, what is it? Variety is the mother of enjoyment, isn't that a saying? Right. So renouncing the variety is monis, um, monism, and spiritualism is seeing both the achinta, inconceivable, simultaneously, oneness with God and different from him. And of course, that means all of his varieties. So it's a little connected to what we were just talking about. Um, so the next verse is a little scary. <laughs> All the rules and regulations apply equally to the householder and the sannyasi, uh, the member of the renounced order of life. The grihasas, however, is given permission by the spiritual master to indulge in sex during the period favorable for procreation. So this um, is sometimes a discussion in the society because there are places where Prabhupada just says uh, the, for, the, the regulation prohibiting uh, sex for initiates is, uh, is with someone other than your wife. And here he's bringing it to another level of, uh, you know, what is it? It's almost, I once saw a bumper sticker 
Um, procreation, not recreation. <laughs> so, but again, let's let's keep. I wanted us to keep in mind why all this talk about sex. It's not, you know, for for, for within Lord Chaitanya's followers, it's not a Puritan. Uh, thing like you know, if you're familiar with the Puritans in America, um, it's not also just kind of like you know, roughing it or being a tough guy or being a stoic or being a Spartan. Um, it's actually to develop our love, but for Krishna, <laughs> and it's it's helpful in that sense. So it's a it's a different. So we so it's as we're reading this chapter, we want to keep that in mind. It's not like, oh, Prabhupada's being really mean, you know. Why is he giving us such a high a standard to try to follow, you know? Um, it's etc. No, he's he's trying to give us the highest, and therefore he's uh, and the Bhagavatam is saying these things. Okay, so let's continue. I think we're going up to 15. Uh, brahmacharis or grihasthas who have taken the vow of celibacy are described above uh, as described above should not indulge in the following applying powder or ointment to their eyes, massaging the head with oil, massaging the body with the hands, seeing a woman or painting a woman's picture, eating meat, drinking wine, decorating the body with flower garlands, smearing scented ointment on the body, or decorating the body with ornaments. These should be given up. So, this is for the obviously very, very renounced um, person. So for example, we are not going to stop decorating our body with flower garlands if the garlands have been offered to Krishna. We, get, we make advancement, and that's said in the nectar of, of devotion, right? And, and Prabhupada used, um, I think he used, I can't remember which oil he used in his massages, if it was mustard oil. Maybe I think it was mustard oil in the winter. So, you know, again, what applies to this time, place, and circumstance is, uh, so we would, you know, stop eating meat. And we stood, would stop drinking wine. That's one thing we would do. 13 and 14, according to the rules and regulations mentioned above, one who is twice born, um, namely a Brahmin, Chatriya, or Vaisha, should reside in the Gurukula under the care of the spiritual master. There he should study and learn all the Vedic literatures along with their supplements and the Upanishads according to his ability and power to study. So in this regard, it's not necessarily the bhakti literatures. It's more the quote unquote traditional Vedic literatures. If possible, the student or disciple should reward the spiritual master with the remuneration the spiritual master requests. And then following the master's order, the disciple should leave and accept one of the other ashrams, namely the Grihastha ashram, Vanaprastha ashram, or Sanyasa ashram, as he desires. <coughs> hmm. Robert writes in the purport, the Vedic literature, so this is the broader Vedic literature, gives the knowledge that can lead one to understand the absolute truth. And there you hear it says, it's not just Bhagawan, it's Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagawan. Uh, Gurukula or the reformatory educational institution should be used only to understand Vedic knowledge. At the present time, there are many educational institutions for training and technology 
but such knowledge has given has nothing to do with the understanding of the absolute truth. So um, <laughs> a lot of our devotees are involved in some kind of technology, and we may need to have that education to have a livelihood. Um, and yet we shouldn't be satisfied with that knowledge. We should want spiritual knowledge in, in our lives as uh, the main focus or the greatest desire in terms of knowledge gathering. But, you know, we, I mean, I, you know, we all probably for many of our occupations that we have right now, um, if we, you know, have a family and, and like that is we learn some kind of what probably would probably categorize this technology in order to do that. Um, but reading, probably especially specifically Srila Prabhupada's books, um, is in a different category. <laughs> and then again, showing the difference between what Gaudiya Vaishnavas do sometimes and followers of the Vedas. The next paragraph says, not everyone follows the Vedic system of Brahmachari, Grihastravana, Prasad, Sanyas. Another point to be observed, last paragraph from this verse, is that from the Brahmachari Ashram, one may accept the Sanyasa Ashram, Dana Prasad Ashram, or Grihastha Ashram. It is not compulsory for a Brahmachari to become a Grihastha because the ultimate aim is to understand the absolute truth. There's no necessary, there is no necessity of going through all the different ashrams. Thus one may proceed to the Sanyasa Ashram directly from the Brahmachari Ashram. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur accepted the Sanyasa Ashram directly from the Brahmachari Ashram. In other words, his divine grace Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did not think it compulsory to accept the Grihastha Ashram or Vanaprastha Ashram. Now, of course, that is mentioned here in this translation. Um, and the, the, the kind of standard process is going through them directly. But here we see Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and other great Acharyas, and even um, you know, a number of devotees in our society went directly from Brahmacharya to Sanyas. Uh, any questions, comments, thoughts? Well, I did have another thought. That one sentence where he said technology, therefore, is meant for the shudras. Mm -hmm. I connected that with like last week. Remember, we we're talking about the different classes of society. Yes. And it looked like you were going down to like a bomb level, levels, like a oh, shudras. And then the women were concerned that they were mentioned after the shudras, right? They're even lower. But look, but look at what he said though. It's meant for the shudras. So even you invent the next cell phone that billions of people use, to him, it's lesser, it's lesser than, than bhakti, right? right? So it kind of gives you a perspective. The, the classes aren't necessarily stacked lower. It's all, there's a lot of subtlety to it too. There's a lot of subtleties to it, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, who's a brahmana? Um, you might say, well, the intellectuals in this world, the polished professors, but um, according to the Vedic standard, that they probably wouldn't pass uh, muster. But um, if we look at it, if we just look at Varnashram as, as saying, there's always going to be an intellectual class, there's always going to be an administrative class, there's always going to be a business pr production class, there's always going to be a worker class. Um, then you can look at society, you know, in those broad strokes. 
And at the same time, like you're saying, if we look at the, the if we don't look at it from the broad perspective, but we look at kind of like the details of our national, we're like, hey, like everybody's a sudra, <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know, to some extent. Which and Prabhupada has already said. The yeah. Kali, it's like almost all shoes. Yeah, he quotes that verse, Kalo Sudra Sambhavan. Yeah, that's right. Um, very good. Other questions or comments? My dear devotees. Okay, well, then we will carry on. Um, uh, we on 15, is that? Yes, 15. One should realize that in the fire, in the spiritual master, in one's self, and in all living entities, uh, in all circumstances and conditions, the Supreme Personality of God in Vishnu has simultaneously entered and not entered. He is situated externally and internally as the full controller of everything. Prabhupada writes that realization of the Supreme Personality of God, its omni omnipresence is the perfect realization of the absolute truth to be obtained through the study of the Vedic literature. So, so here's the Vedic literature is probably in a more general sense because he's um, talking about Krishna's omnipresence, like as Brahman, but then he switches over to Bhakti, right? He said, as stated in the Brahma Samhita, which is very much a Bhakti literature, Andantara sta paramanu chayantara stam. The Lord is situated within the universe, within the heart of every living entity, and also within the atom. We should understand that whenever the Supreme Personality of God is present, he is present with all his paraphernalia, including his name, form, associates, and servants. Hmm. So that, so the, um, the way that Krishna is realized is described as Nam Rukhuna Lila. First, and especially in this age, and especially as followers of Lord Chaitanya, through the Nam, through chanting Krishna's name. And then one gets realization of his rupa, his form, nam rupa his qualities, what kind of person Krishna is, and finally his, his lila, his pastimes. And so, the, uh, so then continuing, the living entity, the, the living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of God. And, and thus one should understand that since the Supreme Lord has entered the Adam, living entities are also there. One must accept the inconceivable quality of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, where no one can understand from the material point of view how the Lord is all pervasive and yet situated in his own abode, Aloka Vrindavan. This realization is possible by following these regulated principles of ashram um, and having bhakti, of course. <laughs> yeah, following for an ashram for Krishna's pleasure. So, yeah, what a, if we really think about it deeply, it's, it's mind boggling that Krishna has created so many universes. You know, the, 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 the sight that you see through a Hubble uh, telescope just gives some idea of just how vast this universe is and what to speak of other universes. And that same creator of that enters into every atom. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's why when we say Krishna's inconceivable, a, a chintya, 
Um, we try to conceive them, but even the attempt is not going to be 100% successful. But it is helpful to our bhakti, especially in the early stages of devotional service, to just understand how great Krishna is. It's, it's like, you know, oh my God, <laughs> that's how great he is. Again, please just go off a mute or whatever if you want to say something. Text 16. It's very recursive though. Recursive, what do you mean? What's recursive mean? Well, all right. You talk to the universe, you can look at the Hubble telescope and say, wow, I'm seeing it with my eyes. But, but this, this purport said that even every atom, you're made up of atoms, has Krishna in it, which is everything, all the universes and all the people inside each atom. So it's recursive. And it's almost, it is mind-boggling. Yes. I want to point that out. Yeah. And the pure devotee understands that, but isn't interested. He's interested in Krishna and Vrindavan. You know, like Prabhupada once joked, you know, my main interest, you know, um, what is in Krishna's lunchbox? But, you know, he's making a point, right, that the key for a great devotee is that intimate relationship with that Krishna in that specific uh, form, not his Paramatma form in every atom or his universal form in this huge universe, which is only one of so many universes. And, you know, that takes some realization, some understanding, some faith to think that, you know, just like we read, Antantarasam Paramanu Chantras, like God is great, God is teeny, and besides that, he's elsewhere dancing with the gopis. <laughs> and having his own life, you could say. Text 16, by practicing in this way, whether one be in the Brahmachari Ashram, Brihasta Ashram, Banaprasta Ashram, or Sanyasa Ashram, one must always realize the all-pervading presence of the Supreme Lord, for in this way it is possible to understand the absolute truth. So this is about Brahman, or Paramatma, the all-pervading presence. Excuse me. Well, King, I shall now describe the qualifications of a, for a Brahmaprasta, so we're switching Brahmachari to Banaprasta. One who is retired from family life, by rigidly following the rules and regulations of the Vanaprastha, one can easily be elevated to the upper planetary system known as Maharloka. So that's not back to Godhead, right? That's heavenly planets. A person in Vanaprastha life should not eat grains grown by tilling of the fields. So again, not everything applies directly to modern day Vanaprastas. He should also not eat grains that have grown without tilling of the fields, but are, uh, but are not fully ripe. Nor should Devana Prasta eat grains cooked in fire. Indeed, he should eat only grains and fruits ripened by the sunshine. Hmm. Not so easy to do. Devana Prasta should prepare cakes to be offered in sacrifice from fruits and grains grown naturally in the forest. When he obtains such uh, some new grains, he should give up his old stock of grains. Ivanaprasa should prepare a thatched cottage or take shelter of a cave in a mountain only to keep the sacred fire, but he should personally practice enduring snowfall, wind, fire, rain, and shining of the sun. 
So um, this may not all be practical, right? <laughs> Funny, I was thinking about keeping the sacred fire. So we had oops, we had this beautiful Rathiatra yesterday. Um, and it was the first one in Ashburn, Virginia. <laughs> Parade of the Lord Jagannath. And there was all these rules about you couldn't cook. We wanted to cook a feast there. And we wanted to um, do an artique, you know, which includes the, the flame. And so we had to, you know, like find this part, this one little parcel of land that's not part of the city and not part of the school. <laughs> and there we did the RT. So, you know, even from that point of view, you know, it says here, you should have a thatched roof and take shelter of a cave or keep the sacred, uh, to keep the sacred fire. Well, you know, the, the local police might come and put out your fire. <laughs> to do that in in parts of the western world so you know it's uh, there are a lot of these things that we're reading about the vanaprastha um i don't think too many uh, devotees are going to uh endure you know um when you know just ex in the outdoors snowfall wind fire rain etc the vanaprastha should wear matted locks of hair now some may be happy with that <laughs> on his head and let his body hair nails and mustache grow he should not cleanse his body of dirt some would say woohoo great <laughs> no but you know um we know that a vaishnava tries to take bath once twice thrice a day he should keep a water pot deer skin and rod wear the bark of of a tree as covering and use garments colored like fire so um, I don't know how many Vanaprastas in Iskand are going to wear tree bark. But you get that the principle behind it is the idea of simplicity. So one can follow the principle sometimes without the details. Being very thoughtful, a Vanaprastha should remain in the forest for 12 years, eight years, four years, two years, or at least one year. He should behave in such a way that he will not be disturbed or troubled by too much austerity. When because of disease or old age, one is unable to perform his prescribed duties for advancement in spiritual consciousness or study the Vedas, he should practice fasting, not taking any food. Well, that would, I guess, depend on how close you are to death, right? Um, how bad is your disease? How old is your old age? That wouldn't be a recommendation for people who still have some energy to do service to Krishna. He should properly place the fire element in his own self and in this way give up bodily affinity by which one thinks the body to be oneself or one's own. One should gradually merge the material body into the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and sky. It's also respectful and good to remember not just to laugh at the tree bark and things like that, but to say there was a time when this was altogether practical or at least altogether possible. I, I, I am avoiding practical because, you know, it's still austerity and things, but it was possible. So, so now we try to glean the essence of it without um, saying, oh, this is never possible. No, at a certain time, certain place and circumstance, it certainly was. A sober self-realized person who has full knowledge should merge the various parts of the body into their original sources. The holes in the body are caused by the sky. 
the process of breathing is caused by the air. The heat of the body is caused by fire. The semen, blood, and mucus are caused by water. The hard substances like skin, mucus, and bone are caused by earth. In this way, all the constituents of the body are caused by various elements, and they should be merged again into those elements. Prophet writes, to be self-realized, one must understand the original sources of the various elements of the body. The body is a combination of skin, bone, muscle, blood, semen, urine, stool, heat, breath, and so on, which all come from earth, water, fire, air, and sky. One must be well conversant with the sources of all the bodily constituents. Then one becomes a self-realized person or Atmaban, one who knows the self. So we have read about um, um, this process before, but obviously it's not the exact process that a Iskan Bhakti Yoga is going to follow. Although again, the, the essence of it that we're not our body, our body is made of these elements we, and it will return back to these elements at the time of death is, is still a uh, essential thing we can glean from this, even if we're not going to follow this exact kind of yogic process. Any questions or comments? I did have a question. Okay. Even if you were going to follow this exact kind of process, right? What is the meaning? They're always saying, if you do this, if you like sex, you're like an animal. But now they're basically telling you to live like an animal. It's kind of <laughs> ironic. I mean, well, it may look, look like that to us, Yeah. you know, who's not um, familiar with this process. I, uh, I'm not very familiar. But I think it's, kind of, it's uh, my understanding is a yogic kind of thing. You know, it's all about austerity then? No, about these merging into their sources. Because that's what's actually kind of going on here, right? The, um, um, a second here. Yeah. Um, oh, so, okay. So, yeah. So these, th these are talking about offering um, of the different aspects of our body into the uh, immediate source. But as bhakti yogis, we offer everything into the ultimate source. That's the way to look at this from a devotional point of view. Because there's more about this here. So thereafter, the objects of speech, along with the sense of speech, the tongue should be bestowed upon fire, craftsmanship, and the two hands should be given to the demigod Indra, the power movement and the legs should be given to Lord Vishnu, sensual pleasure, along with the genitals, should be bestowed upon prajapati. The rectum with the power of evacuation should be bestowed in its proper place into mrityu. The oral instrument along with sound vibration should be given to the deities presiding over the directions. The instrument of touch along with the sense of touch should be given to vayu. A form with the power of sight should be bestowed upon the sun. The tongue along with the demigod Varuna should be bestowed upon water and the power of smell along with the two Ashvini Kumara demigods should be bestowed upon the earth. Hmm. So this whole process, what we can glean from this is that as bhakti yogas, we offer everything into the ultimate source, Lord Krishna, though this is talking about offering uh, to the immediate source. Okay. Yeah, very okay. nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that was, uh... oh, sir, so there's more. 
<laughs> the mind, along with all material desires, should be merged into the moon demigod, right? The mind and the moon are connected. If you go crazy, you call it loony, right? Loon is the mind, uh, the moon. All the subject matters of intelligence, along with the intelligence itself, should be placed into Lord Brahma, the greatest intelligent person. False ego, which is under the influence of the material modes of nature, and which induces one to think, I am this body, and everything connected with this body is mine, should be merged along with the material activities into Rudra, the predominating deity of false ego, Lord Shiva. Material consciousness, along with the goal of thought, should be merged into in the individual living being, and the demigods acting under the modes of material nature should be merged along with the perverted living being into the supreme being. The earth should be merged into water, water into the brightness of the sun, this brightness into the air, the air into the sky, the sky into the false ego, the false ego into the, uh, I think this is the Mahatattva, into the total material energy the total material energy into the unmanifest ingredients, the Pradhan feature of the material energy. And at last, the ingredient feature of the material manifestation into the super soul. So everything's getting merged. It's, it's, it's reverse creation. It's going back to the source. And, and here it ends at the super soul. And of course, for the devotees, it's the Supreme Lord Krishna. But again, this is the Vedic system more than the exactly the bhakti system, although the goals, it's like a um, Venn diagram. Part of the bhakti system is the traditional realizations, but it's much, much more. It's about love of God. When all the material designations have thus merged into their respective material elements, the living beings who are all ultimately completely spiritual, being one in quality with the supreme being, should cease from material existence as flames cease when the wood in which they are burning is consumed. When the material body is returned to its various material elements, only the spiritual being remains. This spiritual being is Brahman and is equal in quality to Parabrahman, in quality, not quantity. Thus then the Bhaktivedanta purports of the seventh canto, 12th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled The Perfect Society for Spiritual Classes. So we did a chapter in one day. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and if you notice, I was good this week. I sent out the homework way ahead of time. <laughs> um, so the next uh, chapter is chapter 13, the behavior of a perfect person. And I don't know if we'll finish. That's 46 verses. That's quite a bit. But I will send you the uh, reading for that. So anything before we end a little, just slightly early for the day? Because we have the, His Holiness Jai Dwayta Swami here today for the program at the temple. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Mataji. So Prabhuji, I'm, um, <clears throat> I was hearing to the entire um, description in this chapter and I just have a small question. Maybe it's a silly question. And Jiva Prabhu is not around here. I would have discussed with him also, but I want to ask you, so by now we have been studying in Srimad Bhagavatam, so much uh, glories on uh, devotional service, the Bhakti Yoga. Mm -hmm. And then in this chapter, so much has been explained in detail about uh, 
I think it's the Ashtang yoga system which has been covered in this chapter and how difficult it is. And from Bhagavad Gita, we know already that we should not be distracted by other yoga systems. Bhakti yoga is the easiest and sure short way to, you know, please Krishna. So I'm thinking why at this point, I mean, this is obviously narration going on in uh, Prahlad's pastimes, Lamar Singhadev. But still, I'm thinking Prabhupada has written so much in purpose out here, right in the <clears throat> middle of Sriman Bhagavatam, when he has already explained in the, you know, previous cantos and purports, how, you know, heart transform, but just by transformation and purification of our mind, heart, senses, we can please Krishna. So do you want to please explain something regarding this? Well, well, the Bhagavatam is, is um, prepared presented very systematically and it kind of runs on two parallel tracks you know pure devotional service then there's a periodical presentations on varnashram and remember Prabhupada you know gave a lot of emphasis on varnashram at certain times um, because it's a stepping stone to bhakti it's not bhakti uh, well it, I mean, it's hard to say totally that's not bhakti because daivi varnashram is you do Varnasham for Krishna's pleasure. Um, and that's a whole another discussion that we can cover sometime. Oh, I think it's chapter 11 of the Nectar of Devotion. This comes up. Um, <clears throat> so we, so, you know, it's the Bhagavatam, you know, it's very, I mean, you're, it's a good point that uh, we just heard about total pure bhakti, Pallad Maharaj, right? And then the question is, how do we attain a level like blood marsh? Well, the first baby step is, well, baby step, the first step is Varnashram. And that's what's, you know, that was the answer given to, to raise people to a, uh, to a level of, of human being, you know? And so, you know, and we do in our society, for example, we do follow the ashrams pretty carefully, you know, not, not, you know, like, for example, I, I'm living in the Brahmacharya Ashram now, so I'm a Vana Prasta, you could say. But, uh, you know, there's no tree bark. And uh, there's no matted hair. And there's no not cutting my fingernails or and no big mustache or beard. So, but the, but the uh, principle of it is actually helpful for spiritual life. Not that, you know, I got, I got married and I just stay, you know, in uh, that kind of, young married mindset for all my living days. I've been married 32 years and, uh, and my wife's in a similar kind of mood. So that makes it really easy, but, but that helps my Krishna consciousness living here at the temple, go to the morning program much more often than when I was living away. Um, so it's, it can be helpful or in a society in general. And, and remember, so sometimes, you know, there's the individual bhakti, but these chapters also, in one sense, are looking at the bigger society level. And if, and if people are know what their occupation is, know how it's contributing to society, and learn how to do it in a pious way that, that at least doesn't contravene their, their spiritual practices, um, that's great. That, and, that, and that can be helpful. Um, so it, I think it, it, it's a very good question, by the way. And and that's, you know, because we just heard about, in one sense, the first example of just exclusive pure bhakti. 
in the Bhagavatam up until now, seventh canto. Um, so, uh, but I'll think about that and look at some, uh, see if I can see if there's any more information on that, because it is a great question. And I, I tried my best for now to answer, but I might be able to get some more information by next week. So yes, Prabhuji, thank you. That's helpful, actually. And I, I actually have this uh, little bit uh, gap in my understanding right from many years, just I was not quite I don't know how to really ask about it, like, you know, how to understand, um, how to put it into, how to articulate it so I get my answer. Um, <clears throat> so uh, here, you know, uh, uh, pure devotional service is there in this chapter, it's there in Canto 3, it's touched on in all different cantos and by different personalities, how they, uh, you know, followed the, uh, how they engaged in, um, devotional service. But very quickly, I wanted to just add that here uh, in towards the ends, it's mentioned that when all material designations have merged into the respective material elements and living beings becomes completely spiritual and all that, right? So mm -hmm. naturally, I was thinking of how we do the chanting practice, practice, we do sadhana and what all we do like in our devotional life, right? I'm trying to see how we can mainly through then eventually developing tasting chanting how can we achieve this what is being mentioned here uh and so that is the reason that thought came to my mind and obviously there is some reason right here in the middle i mean i have no questions against varnashram oh, I, I understand that yeah, yeah yeah it's just this part how the leaving of leaving the body you know how by ending of material existence by uh completely becoming spiritual one in quality all that description so that but maybe eventually in further chapters something might be addressed regarding it but this is something on my mind and it will be really helpful if you can find something to understand it i'll better. see if there's more but you know we learned in the second chapter vedanti tat tat pavidas tat pam yaj ganamavyam prameti paramatmeti bhagavan iti sabyate so this by saying that, that the absolute truth is realized in three levels of Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, it does indicate that this book, the Srimad Bhagavatam, is going to cover those other realizations, although it's going to recommend as the highest the Bhagavan realization. And Srila Prabhupada and his predecessor, Acharya's commentaries, uh, shine a light on, on that point. Um, but let me think about it more and try to get uh, see if there's anything more I want to say next week. Okay. Thank you, bro. Hare Krishna. All right. Anything else? Okay. Then we will give you six minutes of your life back for other purposes. And I will send out the homework, hopefully good on time like last week. And uh, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. Hare Krishna. Thank you. 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 Thank you.